release or not tomorrow. But uh, yeah, this is who this has been a long three weeks for me because of training and everything. So I'm I'm ready to to go to sleep. <laughs> That's really what it is. We're going to see uh, um, Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, the Lubers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So good. Lubers kids gonna be in that. So I'm excited about that. So. Good. And then just to be able to get to sleep on time. That'd you know? be nice. Yeah, this will be good. All right, start us off with a word of prayer. Yeah, Father God, thank you for your word, which is sufficient for all that we need for life and godliness. Thank you for how you have called us uh, and equipped us for all that you not only demand of us, but have gifted us with through the gospel. Help us now in this podcast to please you with all that we say, all that we do, and all that we think, that your truth may prevail so that your glory may be over all the earth. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's get it started. This is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. And uh, just to let you all know, we are still doing the podcast. Uh, sorry I missed last week. I don't know what happened. Um, actually, they're not going to hear this until another exactly. two weeks. Anyway. I was just I was just thinking of that. Yeah, it's so, all good. So now I'm going to be ahead of the schedule. <laughs> so as long as I don't forget to release this one, we should be back on a schedule. So thank you all for tuning in. Thanks for your patience as well. I am a wretched sinner, just like the rest of you all people listening, even you vipers and the diapers out there. Uh, <laughs> and with me today is another uh, uh, another wretched sinner that has been saved by the grace of God. Thankfully and uh preaching it every sunday faithfully uh even though he is probably cringing to even hear me say that because he doesn't want any other praise at all nope. uh, he wants all the glory to go to god which Amen. i really appreciate uh, his name is pastor matt white how you doing today sir i am i'm am, i'm doing well yeah doing, good, well. doing good. well in the word good well we are going to be short and sweet tonight Sounds because good. uh that is probably all the uh, energy we have in our battery right now yes. and, uh, and then we're gonna go home and recharge uh put ourselves on the charger so all right this is gonna be a a pretty easy one because your last sermon that you preached uh is on john 17 and uh this i think is probably one of the one of my favorite passages mm. um Excuse me. Not just because of the fact that it is an amazing prayer uh, to, you know, uh, from Jesus to the father. Um, but I think that what I also like is that the rich theology that Jesus has has just like embedded into this as he prays. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really, you know, odd for me to kind of see that. I usually try to come with questions. Yeah. Uh, when it comes when I to, to Sunday morning. So yep. it's like I, I read through, I try to go through and get some questions in there. But one, I didn't know how you were going to kind of format it because John 17 is not short. Yeah. Um, but now that we have kind of like the outline and the yep. sections, it's like, OK, now I can go and kind of do it that way. But yep. there are a few questions that I did um, yep. have that yep. I want to kind of go through. Good. Uh, with this. So <clears throat> one I was really kind of, you know, I, I think that more than anything, I was uh, kind of set back when you, you said that, one, he was praying for himself. Yep. Like that was the first one, uh, the first section. So mm -hmm. the first sermon is praying for himself. So the petition, the plan, and the pursuit. 
So as I kind of looked through it, I was like, okay, um, the petition part is a verse one. Yeah. You know, and when I, when I saw that, I was like, okay, he has this petition, but, um, the question that I had is Christ is glorified, but yet he has taken on the sins of the world on the cross. So it's kind of like if he's glorified, how is it that he is? How is it that I think that more than anything, it's like he's in his he's the, the he's glorified, but it's like, OK, I thought that Jesus, the human, took on the sins because he's perfect. How is it that God, who cannot see sin, is taking on the sins of the world? Mm-hmm. Is that does that, that question yeah, make y- sense? Yeah. Well, it, I, I think I know what you're asking, but maybe it's not the right question. You know, you're tr- maybe you're bifurcating the the uh, the hypostatic union of Christ, and you don't want to do that, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to. You know, we understand that he's uh, 100% God as as well as 100% man, but he's all of that, right? Within within mm-hmm. the one person, and so and so, I think you got to be careful sometimes in in bifurcating, you know, dividing, right? God, the Son. Mm-hmm. into different parts mm-hmm. you know there's a heresy that that actually spawns out of that and so you got to be careful um you know christ is christ now we know christ is the god man mm-hmm. right that's who he is mm-hmm. in his in his uh nature um he's 100 percent. he's fully god fully man all at the same time mm-hmm. so you know it's it's good to be able to discern okay that's we can see the humanity of christ we can see the deity of christ but you what you don't want to do is focus so much in one direction where all you see is the humanity or all you see is the deity because they're always together Mm -hmm. right in one person and so um commingling yet distinct and so you you've got to be careful that you don't in some question or some point of meditation that you meditate on one without the other because mm-hmm. now you'll you'll begin to get a conflicted view of Christ which is not helpful it's a heretical view and uh, many heresies actually come out of an an inaccurate view of Christ whether it's an overemphasis on a, on a deity or overemphasis on a humanity or or whatever and so you got to be careful of that and so even in that question I just just guard you from that but the reality of him being glorified on the cross is the is the reality of his exaltation to be glorified is to be honored and exalted high above everyone and everything else and it's in the cross of Christ where Christ is exalted it's the uh, contrary nature of the gospel right mm-hmm. he that uh, he that bows low will be lifted high mm-hmm. right you know he that dies will live mm-hmm. right he that lives will die you know mm-hmm. and it's that it's that counterintuitive countercultural reality of of following Christ and following God it, it always cuts across the grain of the world the world says lift yourself up and you'll be exalted push yourself to the top step on everybody to get there mm-hmm. exalt yourself but the gospel says no bow low and you'll be lifted up mm-hmm. you know god uh, opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and so so christ obviously in his in his point of deepest greatest humiliation which is obviously the point of his death on the cross is his point of of great exaltation at the same time because he is exalted because he's fulfilling the will of the father He's doing what the Father has sent him to do. He's achieving the mission. He's accomplishing the mission. He's finishing the mission. And in so doing, he is displaying, and this is 
part of the plan, mm-hmm. and this is part of the petition. At the moment of his death on the cross, and then obviously all that goes with that, Christ is displaying the glory of God like no other place on the planet, like no other time on the planet. He is demonstrating what? The goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, mm-hmm. the justice of God, the wrath of God, mm-hmm. the holiness of God, and and 10,000 more perfections that I could keep rattling off. Mm-hmm. The sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the forgiveness of God. I mean, how many more do you want? The love of God. Mm-hmm. Where is all of that seen? It's at the cross. Mm-hmm. It's at the cross where grace and mercy and wrath and justice and holiness and love, they all meet. They all come together in a, in a perfect place of display. Mm-hmm. And that's the exaltation of Christ, which is at the same time the glorification of the Father. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's why the cross of Christ is so pivotal in the, uh, in the manifestation of who, of who God is through the life of the Son, and that's why Christ is the ultimate revelation of the Father. That's how he does make the Father known, as, as John 1 says. He's the exegete of the Father. He, he takes the invisible God and makes him visible. Well, he does that through his life. He does that through how he lived, but he does that ultimately in his death on the cross, because the cross is the culmination, if you will. It is the coming together of of everything all at once at that moment, all that had been planned from eternity past, mm-hmm. all that was planned before the foundation of the world was even set in the inner Trinitarian communication between the Father and the Son when the plan of salvation was set, all of that finds its nexus, its, its, its linchpin, if you will, in history at the cross. It's the cross in which everything turns, everything changes, everything moves. It's where the world held in the balance, and it's where God the Father is put on display like never before. Mm-hmm. And, and it's where Christ himself is exalted like never before, in that it's through the doorway of the cross that the crown comes. He never gets the crown, the crown of glory, the crown of King of kings and Lord of lords. That never is given to him if he doesn't go through the cross. Mm. The cross becomes that doorway, and that's what the Bible makes so clear so often. Revelation 5 is a beautiful picture of this, where the lamb slain is the one who's worshipped, and worthy is the lamb slain, right? It's Mm -hmm. because of the cross that then he's given that, and obviously that's what Paul says, and through the inspiration, obviously that's the Word of God, that's what God says in Philippians 2, right? God has given him the name that is above every name, mm-hmm. that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, that what? Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, all of that comes out of what he said right before, that he what? Takes on humanity so that he can die, mm-hmm. so that he can be the Paschal Lamb, he can be the sacrifice. So that was always God's plan. That was always the plan. Son, go to the cross. I'll give you the bride. You'll redeem them, and you'll be exalted, and and he is. And that's what Christ is talking about when he says, glorify your son. Now's the time. And he had glorified it, as John 11 says, and he says, I will glorify it again. Mm -hmm. So he had glorified it, obviously, in his baptism, obviously in his life, everything that he had done up to that point publicly in the life of Christ, God was glorified. He has and he was, but it was that pinnacle of glorification, which was the cross. Okay, that is as as amazing. I, I mean, the way that you kind of put that, um, it really takes the focus off of 
everybody else and puts it completely on the cross. And oh yeah, um, the first part of what you said, you're right, <laughs> absolutely right. I didn't think it through because my brain, my human brain, wants to separate the two when I, that's definitely not what I should be doing. And before you get to whatever scripture you're going to get to, <laughs> I'm one thing that also popped in my head was how this uh, idea of having everything right now yes. on earth yeah. and, you know, having your best life now and having, you know, riches and fame and all these things now, how, you know, you you were saying, if you're going to die, you're going to live, you're going to live now, you're going to die, you know, like that is literally the exact opposite of the message of oh, yeah. the the modern church. And oh yeah. Yeah, that uh but that's the message of the cross. See, that's yeah. that's the whole point of the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Which is deny yourself, die to yourself, take up your cross and follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? That that's the pure gospel. Mm-hmm. That is the gospel that Christ preached, that Paul preached, that the word preaches which is which is antithetical to the gospel of the modern church mm-hmm. which says make your life better mm-hmm. which says add Jesus to your life mm-hmm. and he'll make a he'll make a bad life better right but that's well, exactly what satan was saying to Jesus totally. in the wilderness totally. back before right absolutely he was saying to him here i give you the world and yes. i'm like wait a minute uh <laughs> if Jesus answered it with scripture yeah. you know but here's the thing spot on but don't miss it take it to the next level What Satan, don't miss it, get ready, put on your seatbelt. What Satan promised Christ was what? Everything God had promised him. Think about it. Mm. What he promises Christ, he's already promised to get the world. He's already promised to be the king. What was Satan promising him? You can have this without the cross. Mm. I'll give it to you with no death, with no pain. You can usurp that. That's the message of the modern church. Mm. You can have eternal life. Just don't bear the cross. You don't have to die. You don't have to give up. Mm. You don't have to count the cost. You don't have to give up your lust, your lies, your sex, your drugs. You don't have to give up nothing. Just take Jesus to your life and all will be well. Mm. That's what Satan was telling Christ when he was 40 days tempted in the wilderness. Mm. Christ knew. There is no crown without the cross. Mm-hmm. Just as it was for Christ, not in the glorification level that Christ has as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but in the salvation glorification level for us as, as human beings redeemed, it's the same thing. There is no crown of glory. There is no crown of righteousness without the cross of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So we will never get the crown of righteousness that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 4, that righteousness of, of accolades and, and, and the righteousness of Christ and the accolades that come with that well done, good and faithful servant and that glorious eternal crown by which we will be given by the Lord for, uh, for the blessing of faithfully serving him. That's, that's null and void if we don't take up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow Christ. Mm. So there is no crown for anybody. Uh, there was no, there was no, there would be no crown for Christ without His cross. There will be no crown for any follower of Christ without a cross. And literally, now you got me flipping to other verses. Listen, mm-hmm. exactly that is exactly what Paul says in Romans eight, right? When he says, when he says, um, uh, 
starting in verse uh, Romans eight fifteen. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now watch. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children of God, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Mm. There's no heirs. There's no co-heirs with Christ unless we what? Suffer with Christ. Mm. Meaning he carried the cross, obviously different as the sin bearer, as the Paschal lamb. Uh, Obviously, I'm not comparing us in that way. Yet he is, as Hebrews 12 2 says so clearly, 1 and 2, we fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, what, endured the shame, scoffing rude, and he, what, moved forward mm-hmm. in faith in God and sits down at the right hand of Father, and he is our model. He goes before us. That's what that means, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the, he is the first fruit. He charts the path. He clears the brush, and we follow behind him, mm-hmm. not as him, but as followers of him, and we follow in his footsteps. And so we bear our cross uh, as he's called us to, the cross of humiliation, the cross of, of humbling ourselves, mm-hmm. the cross of putting ourselves in its place, which is death to self, mm. so that Christ can live in us. Yeah. So <clears throat> you probably know exactly where I'm in the wrong book. I'm looking for this. This scripture has been, uh, I'd say, messing with me. Um, I want I want you to, and this is right on to where uh, we're talking about. Um, so. Um, it was Paul, and I want to say it was Colossians, and he said, uh, "Which one? What are you what talking are you? about? Knowing God in His in in and in, in His sufferings." Philippians three. Philippians, okay. Yep. Yeah that that has messed with me because it should mess with me. One of the one of the things that you know, obviously, me coming from my background, naming it, claiming it, and you know. Um, yeah. So first this ten. first 10, first 10 yep. that I may know him. Let me back up a little bit. Yep. Uh, verse seven, but whatever I had, I, what, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, mm. for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish mm. in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, Mm. becoming like him in his death, that by any means, verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The reason why this is messing with me is one, it's out of order in my brain, uh, uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So it's like he's died and resurrected and then and may share his sufferings, become like him in death. So it's like the die, he, you know, you know, it's like his, his death and now he's his suffering in, you know, to death and then the death. So, you know, my 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 brain, you know, my my OCD says, wait, it's supposed to be in order. But, you know, anyhow, it's near, neither here or there. But the thing about it is it's like that one sentence that says, and I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Mm-hmm. That is the part that really 
has messed with me. Mm -hmm. And part of it is that I understand it, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and I haven't, as I've been, you know, um, getting into, into better theology and, you know, understanding the right way to read scripture. I haven't really come back to it. Yeah. Um, I'm the dummy that's digging into Hebrews right now, which I should probably be in uh, a softer, a softer epistle. I I don't know why I just, I just love, I just love Hebrews because of the history and you know how it, you know, talks about the priesthood and all that stuff. But, um, that is kind of what, you know, like kind of where I left it. I've never come back to that. So now that I, uh, now that I have an amazing resource, uh, in you, but Uh, you know, I definitely need to, to, to go back to it, but you know, can can you help me out here? Yeah, I can, I can. And then that, that verse should mess with you. And so the fact that it is, is, is a blessing. So that's good. good. Just look across the page for starters over to, uh, uh, verse 29 of chapter one. Mm-hmm. And this will begin to uh, uh, begin to help you. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. Notice the order. Believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Yeah. Seems like maybe it's out of order like you were thinking, right? Mm-hmm. And so part of what you're thinking is your thinking is out of order in that you're putting suffering pre-salvation or almost as as an aspect of salvation and some point of the resurrection and like you're seeing that you know i think out of order when Mm -hmm. in reality what he's talking about uh it's multifaceted but he's talking about what what i just read in in romans 8 right Mm -hmm. that uh we will be we are co-heirs with christ we are co-heirs with god provided we suffer with him Mm -hmm. right and and the way of the cross, and now remember some sermons I've preached on this, the way of the gospel is the way of suffering. Mm. This is the call. This is what it means to follow Christ. This is what it means to take up your cross. What is that a picture of? That is a picture of humiliation, shame, and suffering. Mm-hmm. In the end, death. That's mm-hmm. what the cross is. To bear a cross in that day meant you were humiliated, you were subjugated, you were suffering, and you were going to die. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a picture of sure death mm-hmm. when you bore your cross beam down the road. Right. No one was freed from that. No one ever didn't die that bore a cross beam, mm-hmm. right? And so when the call of the gospel is take up your cross and then even die to yourself, it's crystal clear mm-hmm. what the call of following Christ will be. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, in the temporal sense, because of the eternal results of that, which is eternal life, forgiveness, and all of that. Um, we understand that. But, and so what Paul is talking about is this understanding that to follow Christ is to suffer, not in a masochistic sense, and somehow we our suffering adds to our righteousness, not at all. But Christ suffered before us. He went before us, as he says in John 16, before the high priestly prayer, mm-hmm. they hated me, they're going to hate you. Yeah. You're going to suffer. It's, mm-hmm. it's the path by which uh, following Christ brings, which, and there's many reasons for that. And so this comes up literally in, in just about every New, Pas- New Testament epistle. Mm-hmm. So this isn't something that Paul brings out in Philippians 3 alone, as I just showed you. It's in chapter 1. It's in Romans 8. And isn't this the, 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 happy, uh, the happy epistle? Joy. 
Yeah, the joy epistle. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, to suffer with Christ is joy, mm. right? Because it's in the suffering with Christ, what, that you get to know Christ. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about suffering for Christ, for his namesake. He's not talking about stub toes or even cancer, mm-hmm. right? He's not what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. That's where we go in American Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's like every single problem we have in life is is tethered to suffering for Christ. Well, it could be if you suffer to the glory of God, as right. we all should. Right. But what Paul's talking about, and and where the rubber meets the road, is what Peter talks about in First Peter three so clearly. Mm-hmm. This reality for suffering for righteousness' sake, mm-hmm. right? Which is what Paul talks about in Second Timothy chapter three. That anyone who seeks to live godly in this life will what suffer, suffer mm-hmm. right? And so that's suffering for the name of Christ, right? And Paul even. I'll, I'll, I'll give you another verse that'll mess with you. It's in Colossians uh, chapter 1, where he talks about uh, Paul is filling up the sufferings of Christ that are lacking. Like, like dwell on that passage for a moment. What mm. in the world's Paul saying there? Were the sufferings of Christ lacking something? As if anything with Christ is lacking. What is Paul meaning when he talks about that? He's, he's kind of saying the same thing, this reality of how all believers who follow in the footsteps of Christ have been ordained to suffer, and there's this reality of the filling up of the sufferings of Christ with all the believers that come behind him, like an like his army, like his uh, you know his his band, so to be so to so to speak, his band of brothers that are marching behind him, and they're and they're just filling up the suffering of righteousness, the suffering of of living for Christ, and again, not to add to some sort of earned righteousness, but to but to demonstrate the faithfulness of God and the glory of God. And thus we are glorified in that. It's going to come up in John 17 when he prays that. Mm. He's going to pray it again. They are glorified in me. Well, how mm-hmm. does that happen? In part through suffering for his namesake, mm-hmm. which all the apostles did and all the disciples do. So that becomes a, a big deal. And then obviously it's in the sufferings for Christ that, that Christ is known. And notice back in Philippians 3, what he that phrase he uses to know him to know him to know him mm-hmm. what is true salvation the knowledge of god and jesus christ the son whom he has sent and so it's in our suffering for christ that we gain a deeper understanding of christ because it's christ who sustains us in the suffering mm-hmm. right philippians uh the philippian church was founded upon the suffering of paul and silas in the dungeon in Acts 16 when they were wrongfully beaten and abused thrown in the darkest part of the dungeon and at midnight their hands and feet are in stocks their back is bloodied and what are they doing they're singing hymns singing hymns Mm -hmm. and what happens the philippian church is born Mm. is born out of that Philippian jailer, Lydia, right? I mean, all of that happens in the context of what? Suffering, mm-hmm. right? Every church, every age, every uh, believing context is marked by that, and it's through that that Christ is seen and understood in that he He preserves his people, he purifies his people, he strengthens his people, he sustains his people through that, and he is known. He is known, and so... Uh, obviously, Paul is, is is speaking to that reality, as well as then knowing the sufferings of Christ, which make all of that possible, mm-hmm. right? His cross-bearing, his gospel-centered, his God-glorifying suffering, which he bore our sins in his body on the tree and set not only as example for us, as First Peter 2 says, but also in his sufferings we are perfected. In his sufferings we are healed, as Isaiah 53 says, from the gospel standpoint, we understand that. And so as we suffer for Christ, we have 
have a we have a deeper longing and understanding of his sufferings for us which enable us and empower us to go through it mm, that's good all right i don't know I remember don't know if, remember you said this was supposed to be short well yeah sorry um because <laughs> now i thought of another verse and now it's like okay is this, is this what he is talking about so is actually uh Luke chapter nine verse twenty three. Well, before we leave Philippians to see, like share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, mm-hmm. that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Again, it's Romans six. It's what he's saying in the gospel and in taking up your cross and what he said in the reality of being of dying with Christ and being buried with Christ and raising with Christ. This co this co laboring with Christ in his sufferings and his death and his resurrection. Again, this is the language of Paul that he uses over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he he wants to know Christ in every way. And for Paul, again, this is the humbling depth of Paul's resolve to to know Christ, meaning know him at a visceral, uh, physical, theological, emotional, mental level, was he wants to know Christ even in his sufferings. Mm-hmm. He wants to share in those, meaning he wants to suffer for Christ mm-hmm. so that he can glorify God, know Christ, and spread the gospel for the glory of Christ. I mean, again, few people, few people uh, pray that, understand that. And again, that's what he says in Galatians 2.20, right? I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, mm-hmm. but the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. I mean, this, this, is, this is Paul's anthem, mm-hmm. right? And this is Acts 20.24. 20, it's like, you know, everybody's telling me I'm going to die. Paul says, listen, I don't account my life of any value. Mm-hmm. It's of no value. Mm-hmm. Only thing that matters to me is that I finish my course with joy and the, and the race that God has marked out for me. What is that? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Mm-hmm. That's why he says earlier in Philippians 1, for me to live is what? Christ and to die is gain. Mm-hmm. It's like Paul says, for me to suffer is just to be drawn closer to the Lord, to be like him, to manifest him, to encourage uh, others to follow him and to know him better because it's in his sufferings that I am enabled to suffer. I'm motivated to suffer to suffer well. That's what he means in 2 Corinthians uh, 5.14. It is the love of Christ that compels us, mm-hmm. because we understand that one died for all, and therefore all died. And those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. What is he talking about? He's talking about the motivation of the gospel to continue to faithfully minister amidst the misery of ministry, mm-hmm. which is persecution and suffering. And Paul says the gospel drives me to that. The sufferings of Christ motivate me to suffer mm. in ministry with joy. Mm. That's good. That's good. All right. Sorry. Yeah, no. I, now, well, Luke 9.23 is the other one. Yep. And yep. the, uh, you know, a couple instructions, uh, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Um, is that just in the context of like, following him as he's walking throughout Jerusalem or following him to his death. Oh, that's following him in his death and in his resurrection and his and in his glorification. Mm-hmm. Not in a glorification obviously as a as deity, not, that's not at all, but in a glorification of the resurrected body, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, no, it's follow him again, Hebrews 12. 
It's that following him all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. He is the author and perfecter. He is the he is the first fruit. He is the one who has gone before. He took up the cross. He died to himself. He humbled himself. Philippians two. He we're, what does Paul say before Philippians two? Have this same mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. He he gives us the life by which we can do it. He models the life by which we're going to follow. He lives by the Spirit as we are called to live. He sets the course for us. He runs the race for us, and then he gives us the 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 uh, baton and says, now you run it and you follow in my footsteps, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so it's he he is the author and perfecter. He is our Lord. And so, yeah, no, it's follow him in obedience to him. Follow him in living a life that is uh, to the glory of God like he did, right? All of that. And again, not as some not as some heroic uh, uh, not as some heroic example, though he is our example, but ultimately as our master and Lord, because he commands this, mm-hmm. right? It's not like some some hero that just says, "I did it." Now you now it's your turn. You know, not at all. That's uh, that would be minimizing his majesty and his uh, uh, lordship. It's like no, he's the master. He purchased our life. He owns it in creation. He owns it in redemption, and now he commands. Take up your cross and follow me. Mm. If you're going to be my follower, this is what it means. I'm charting the course. This is the way you go. Follow me. Mm. That's good. Well, you know, um, I think that we should end here um, before you uh, your your GPMs are starting to rev up. So <laughs> I want to calm you down here for a second. Uh, but uh, the the word of God is. I mean, you you just need to marinate in it. And uh, you'll understand that it's just like a piece of very rich chocolate cake. Uh, it is it is sweet. It is amazing. It revives the soul. Um, it's I love it. So uh, thank you all for listening. And now here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring himself much pleasure. His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, he must punish sin that deserves eternal, conscious punishment under God's wrath in hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge, and yet forgive sinners and so display mercy, by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal son of God, to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross, and he satisfied the eternal anger of God, standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone everywhere to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, 
Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this day, be reconciled to God. Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast. And visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church. All right, here we back. We're back because I got a question from Matt, and uh, I'm gonna ask him this question. And ir- irony, as I, you know, we were waiting for uh, everything to go through. I was, I was saying, I was like, yeah, you know, I, this question came from a, a question. Uh, this question came from a, a sermon I was listening to for, you know, of John MacArthur. So, for our fundamentals of faith class, we have to listen to the sermons. So Ben Pettacore would be happy to know that I did listen to the sermon, and. Uh, it was actually the sermon about spiritual gifts. And he mentioned John MacArthur mentioned twice, uh, the Appalachian snake handlers. Now, <laughs> now you know that he's not from, because yeah, it's it, the, the proper way yeah. it says Appalachian. Yes. Yes. So I need to know what the Appalachian snake handlers are all about. Oh man. You had to go there. Didn't you? You had to, you, <laughs> now you yeah. see why I asked you and not John MacArthur. Yes, you had to open that Pandora's <laughs> box, didn't you? So uh, uh, interesting. There's obviously there's many facets to it. There's many splinters in it, depending on which snake handler you talk to. And they're they. I mean, they're real. They they still exist all throughout different parts of Appalachia. Um, and that could go into Tennessee, Kentucky, and mm-hmm. West Virginia, Virginia. And just there's different regions and different parts, but you know, pretty still pretty uh, consistent, consistently heavy, heavy in portions of Southern West Virginia, and you know that's a real deal. Mm. So what where that's born out of? So it's a it's a um, cultural form of Pentecostalism. It's what it is. Mm-hmm. And again, it depends on which church you're in and which stripe, because there's different, like there is on many errant views of doctrine, how they have all different stripes and different mm-hmm. levels, right? right? Right. And so depending on which stripe you're in, but it really, it's a, it's an outflow of traditional Pentecostalism, and which was a, obviously a big thing in Appalachia mm-hmm. for a long time mm-hmm. and uh, still is in more of a historic sense. Um, and if you know much about the charismatic movement, that was kind of like the first wave. Uh, so the charismatic movement has multiple waves. They call it waves, meaning where the movement kind of moves forward into a whole new doctrinal arena. Mm-hmm. And so the first wave was was Pentecostalism. And, you know, if of all the waves, it, it would be the purest wave. Obviously, it's not pure, but it it's the closest to sound doctrine would be uh, Pentecostalism. And, and so in, in a Pentecostal, in a traditional historic Pentecostal church, you could, you know, still hear a pure gospel, uh, preached and, 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 and even offered, but it would be then blended into the church would be a lot of the charismatic sign gifts Hmm. of tongues and even at times healings, but most of the time it was tongues. And here's, what's interesting and why, what I say about the historic Pentecostal church, most of them, even today, because they still exist, will tell you that the gift of tongues is legitimate languages. 
not gibberish, not angelic speak, not the nonsense that that you know is promoted in the second and third wave in the mm-hmm. charismatic movement, mm-hmm. because literally that's what it was in the Bible, which Acts two makes that clear. Right, right. It was legitimate foreign languages unknown to the speaker but known to the hearer mm-hmm. right that's the miraculous nature of it mm-hmm. the guy that never spoke this language now can speak it that's why the the sign gift of tongues always demanded what an interpreter, interpreter. Yep. yeah because he didn't know the tongue right he just mm-hmm. just could speak it and so anyway so the traditional pentecostals understood that and they that's what they you know embraced and um, often, obviously, they're when they would speak in tongues, they weren't speaking languages, so they were speaking gibberish. But they think they're speaking in 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 a language. But that's a whole other discussion. But they um they so they understood that because again they had a they had a better understanding of 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 scripture, right? That's what I mean by a pure form of of charismatic doctrine. It's still not pure, but pure than obviously the second and third wave, which gets even further away. So each wave literally gets further away from the word. First wave is moving away from the word in the continuation of the sign gifts. Second second wave even moves further away from the first wave. Mm -hmm. And by the third wave, which is where we are now, and then obviously the NAR and all of that, which some even consider a fourth wave, I mean, the Bible's not even there. I mean, it's just totally gone. Mm -hmm. So the snake handling was more uh, born out of that, the historic Pentecostal, um, and really born out of out of a out of a inaccurate, unhelpful view of Mark 16, because in Mark 16 it it speaks of handling stakes and being bitten, drinking poison, and not being killed, and all those kind of things. And so, so it has a tendency to take that passage obviously out of context, obviously not understanding the nature of of uh, scripture and and what is going on in Mark 16 if you understand it and and the manuscripts and what that is and so it takes it and latches on to that and and uh, I see what you did there that's, yeah that's what literally, snakes do literally <laughs> latches on to that as a demonstration of God's power right because mm-hmm. again they're they're taking what 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 Mark 16 says out of context and not reading it in context and then using the fact of dancing and 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 uh, going into ecstatic utterances while handling stakes as a demonstration that God is with them, that God is moving, and even as it's in some forms, it's an it's it's almost a form of paganism by which pagans would would do things to grab attention of their gods, mm-hmm. to have God answer them, to have mm-hmm. God pay attention to them, and some forms are that where they're seeking, they're praying and mm-hmm. and, and seeking God's counsel and in so doing they're trying to demonstrate their faithfulness their mm-hmm. trust and trying to draw god's attention so i mean it's mm-hmm. just it's all again it's all it's all un unbiblical unwarranted obviously unhelpful um but that's a lot of where that comes out of and again what drives all of these things is a lack of sound doctrine mm-hmm. right it's a it's all errant doctrine it's all deviations from this from the text uh, misinterpretations of the text, exaggerations of the text, and obviously, above all else, reading the text outside of its context, and that's what you end up with. Wow, uh, I knew it was going. I knew you would know because you know that's. I would imagine that that was kind of where 
you know, you 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 know either came from or been. you you you've been around it. So yeah, yeah um, it's, it's 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 um a lot of those, and I've spoken to them. A lot of those people are 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 sincere in their in their belief. Um, they love the Lord and in in what they know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like so often, right? Even many people who are errant in their belief, they're sincere, right? They're genuine in their belief. Mm-hmm. They're just belief is wrong, right? Right? But they're not, you know, they're not crazy. It, you know, some are, right? Because that's the more pagan wing, the more um, what I would say cultish wing. And there's part of that, and you mm-hmm. can see that. That's kind of what you see a lot on on YouTube and that kind of thing. It can be quite cultish. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more, the more, uh, historic Pentecostal, you know, roots again, uh, most Pentecostals do not handle snakes, but the snake handlers tend to be all Pentecostals. So that's, I'm not throwing them all together, but that's kind of, they go hand in hand. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, so, but a lot of, of those, uh, you know, they, uh, this is the problem this is the problem with when you lose sound doctrine because of an unhealthy uh, teaching and preaching of the word, because that's what's always absent. Mm-hmm. What's always absent is is the f- faithful, sound preaching of the word and people going off in their own interpretations and exaggerating and a fixation on, on specific uh, phrases and specific verses all taken out of context. And then man comes up with his own ideas and his own thoughts and, that's where the pure, systematic preaching through exegetical, verse by verse, book by ver- book by book, n- Old Testament, New Testament, all pulling it together, stops all of that. Mm-hmm. It, literally, it ends all of that. But uh, you don't have that in in these uh, errant beliefs. What you have is fixation on phrases and words and even verses ripped out of their context. Yeah. Man, and so. Mark sixteen is a is an interesting passage um, when you consider. We'll, we'll uh, get there in about ten years. W- no, no, next year when you consider <laughs> it's a prediction. There you go. <laughs> I, I just you also on. said yeah. that you you would have only twelve verses. Uh, I mean, twelve sermons on prayer. Yeah, I know. So, I, yeah. I, I I aired. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Mark sixteen. The end of Mark sixteen isn't isn't uh, uh, you know in the in the best manuscripts. And again, it's where it demands study. Study reveals that, shows that. Um, and so that even helps you understand that passage and where that comes from and why that's there. And you're just like, yeah, that seems off. Well, it is off. It is off. And um, the the true ending of Mark uh, comes uh, not in the last section, but in the, in the beginning of chapter 16. And so we'll go through all of that. I'll explain it. Yeah, I, 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 was, I was like... Let me ask the one person that would know that I know, and uh, it's a, it's a very, it's a, it was, it was a very like he said it twice, and I'm like, why did he he keeps because he's mentioning like, you know, the the bad side of the theology taken, you know, in the wrong direction, not understanding, you know, scripture in its context and all those yeah, types of things. But that's what's amazing is again, there's stripes, so um, you can't, you gotta, you gotta, you can't paint with a broad brush in any of these things because mm-hmm. you understand there's it's n- no movement is monolithic theologically right mm-hmm. theology in these erring movements just has so many splinters but 
um, a lot of those guys would tend to be, um, no joke, a lot of those guys would tend to be more pure than what we have today, mm. which is shows you how scary that movement, you know, i.e. the charismatic movement is, mm-hmm. because it's so far f- removed from what the scripture says that even at times snake handlers can be more pure in their understanding of scripture. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. Y'all take it easy.